Good morning, Hoffmantown Church. I hope you're doing great today. We are meeting virtually again today, but soon, and I mean very soon, we are going to be meeting again face to face. Today we're going to be jumping into Hebrews. I know we're going to learn a lot and grow together as we get into God's Word. I am excited to be with you again today. I'm honored to have the privilege of teaching this morning. It's going to be an exciting time. Now, as we get started, I just recognize that so many people are coming to today's message with some heavy burdens. We've been in lockdown for a few months. We hear news stories and maybe even we've had friends that have been affected directly by the virus in some way or another. We're seeing rioting and tragedies and racial tensions flaring up in our nation today. And all these things grieve our hearts. We serve a God that loves all people, no matter the color of their skin. A God that loves all people, no matter their place in society. And a God that loves all people, no matter what's going on in the world that we live in. Yet still, when we go through these things, it's easy for us to feel discouraged. So if you're coming with that sense of discouragement today, I want to begin in prayer. And I want to encourage you that you are going to walk away refreshed from God's word. Let's go ahead and start in prayer before we go any further. Dear Jesus, I thank you that in the middle of the craziest times, you reign supreme, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You hold this world in your hands, and you've placed each of us here for a special time in history. God, I pray that you'd comfort each and every person that's watching this morning, that you'd fill them with your peace and with your joy. And I pray that as we dive into your word together, that we would be encouraged by what we see in the Bible. God, thank you so much for all that you've done in our lives. Thank you so much that you're here together with us, even though we're all attending virtually this morning. Jesus, we trust you with this time. We love you. Amen. Well, I'm going to be bringing you a message this morning titled, Time to Get Back in the Game. And I think that it really is time to get back in the game. We've been through a few very unique and interesting months, I'm sure you'll agree. Well, it is time for us to get back in the game. And no matter how you feel right now, no matter what's gone on in your life these past few months, God has a reason and a purpose for you being here today. So it is time to get back in the game. And for us as a church, we've come through a few months where it might have seemed like we were kind of off to the side in society and kind of locked into our own little places. It is time for us to get back in the game. The world has changed. Our community needs the light more than ever before, it is time to get back in the game. We're going to jump into Hebrews 12. You can turn there with me. We're going to be reading the first three verses. I'm sure you're familiar with them. Let's go ahead and read them, and then we'll dive into them a little bit further. Starting in verse 1, we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is a familiar passage. It's one that has encouraged me throughout my life. And there are five main principles that I want all of us to walk away from this passage with today. We're going to talk first about our crowd. Then we're going to talk after that about our contest. We're going to talk about our constraints. We're going to talk about our cause. And finally, we're going to end talking about our comfort. And you will walk away encouraged by this passage. So let me give you a little background to the book of Hebrews. It was written in the mid-60s AD, and it was written to a primarily Jewish audience. We read in chapter 13, verse 24, that the people from Italy send you their greetings. And scholars interpret that to mean that it was written to people in Italy and to people in Rome. So you're seeing a picture now of some of the ruins in Rome. I'm sure you're all familiar with the city, the epicenter of the Roman Empire, and it's to this church that the writer of Hebrews is writing. Now today we celebrate Pentecost. Let me tell you how that relates to the church in Rome and how it began. In Acts chapter 2, we read about the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling his people, coming and indwelling the believers in the early church, empowering them to go and do the Great Commission that Jesus had given them in the previous chapter, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And in Acts chapter 2, we see this incredible movement where many people hear the gospel. They are there in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest, which celebrated the beginning of the wheat harvest. And this was one of the festivals that they would travel to Jerusalem for. So there were people from all over that had come to Jerusalem for this time. And some of those we read in Acts chapter 2 came from Rome. They heard the gospel when Peter preached with the power of the Holy Spirit. They were saved and presumably they went back to Rome and started this little church. What an amazing start to a church. What an amazing example of what we celebrate today on Pentecost and it is how this church in Rome got started and where the book of Hebrews was eventually written to. Now, the author of this book is unknown, but don't let that get you too off track. I used to wonder, well, if the author isn't known, how in the world did the book make it into the Bible? Well, let me tell you, the early church councils that established for us the bedrock canon of scripture made sure to use criteria that were consistent so that they could affirm the books that it had been accepted from the beginning. They didn't cherry pick the books they wanted out of a whole bunch that had been there all along. They set in stone for us a record of the books that had been there from the beginning, from the apostles, from the apostolic era. 
and that was to make sure that we wouldn't be confused by later errors that had begun proliferating in the centuries afterwards. So one of the things that they looked at was, was the book associated with an apostle? And the book of Hebrews from the earliest times was associated with the apostle Paul. That doesn't mean that Paul wrote it. In fact, most scholars believe he didn't. The evidence seemed to suggest that maybe someone like Barnabas, that's the one that I think wrote Hebrews, or Apollos, or Silas, or maybe even Luke wrote the book of Hebrews. We're not sure, but what we can know for certain is it was either written by an apostle or associated with an apostle. There's no doubt about that. It was associated with Paul from the beginning, even though he probably didn't write the book. So it was apostolic. It also goes back to the apostolic era. You know, even in the first century, people were already quoting this book. Clement, in his letter to the Corinthians, quotes Hebrews. That's another thing that they were looking at. Not just how old it was, did it go back to the apostolic era, but also was it used from the beginning? Of course, we have evidence of that here. Finally, the councils made sure that this book was not in error. It wasn't propagating these errors that had crept up as the centuries went on, but it was true to what had been true from the beginning. I can assure you today that Hebrews is supposed to be in the Bible, and every other book in our Bible is as well. That is something that we can be confident in. So that's a little bit of the background here to the book of Hebrews and why it's in our New Testament. You can be confident that we're reading God's Word today. Every time I get a chance to share with you, I want to remind you of the truth of God's Word. This is not just our particular belief system. This is the bedrock truth of God, the unchanging truth of this universe, and we can live our lives by it. So let's jump into Hebrews and see in these few verses that we just read what this writer is telling us. The first thing I promised you was the reality that we hear here about our crowd. Let me go back and read to you chapter 12, verse 1, and just the first half of that verse as we begin to, to unpack this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So we are surrounded by this great crowd of witnesses. Who are those witnesses? Well, like we always say, when you see a therefore, you need to know why it's therefore. So we look backwards, and this comes right after chapter 11, which is this incredible passage about faith. We hear of all these faith leaders of the Old Testament. We hear of people like Abraham and Moses and the prophets. We hear of all these people that came before us, and now we stand on their shoulders. All these faith heroes of the Old Testament. And the writer of Hebrews is telling these believers in Rome that they can look at all these people that have come before as an example of faith and how to walk by faith. These people had been going through some hard times, and the writer of Hebrews is writing to encourage them. They had been facing some difficulties, some opposition, even a little persecution, they had been running into some hardships. 
And it would have been easy to ditch their Christian faith and go a different direction. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, remember all the examples of faith that have come before us. And there's a picture here of a great, great Colosseum. Let me read to you from R. Kent Hughes. He says, the scene is a great Colosseum. The occasion is a foot race, a distance event. The contestants include the author and the members of his flock, and by mutual faith, us, the cloud of witnesses that fills the stadium, are the great spiritual athletes of the past, the Hall of Faith members, every one a gold medal winner. They are not live witnesses of the event, but witnesses by the fact that their past lives bear witness to monumental, persevering faith that, like Abel's faith, still speaks even though he is dead. So this writer is not talking about the Colosseum in Rome. That was built about 15 years after the book of Hebrews was written. So the biggest stadium in Rome at this time would have been the Circus Maximus. And let me just tell you, it's probably the biggest stadium that's ever existed. Uh, Pliny the Elder says that it seated around 250,000 people. That is a lot of people. The biggest stadium on earth today seats around 150,000 people. Here is a picture of some of the ruins of the Circus Maximus. Again, this is not the Colosseum. These are the ruins. And this was famous. People all over the Roman Empire would have been familiar with this stadium. Here is a picture of this stadium on one of the coins of the time. You can see the Circus Maximus on this coin. So wherever people would have read Hebrews, they would have been familiar with the imagery of a grand stadium filled with thousands of people. And they would have understood what the author of this book was referring to when he refers to this great crowd, this cloud of witnesses watching the race or witnessing to the race. Now, the people in Rome probably would have had in their mind something like the picture you're looking at now. Mostly chariot races happened in this stadium, but also foot races happened in this stadium. Now, let me get this straight. The witnesses here are examples, not enthusiasts. We are not running to provide for them entertainment. They exist to give us encouragement by the example of their faith. Let me tell you what John MacArthur says about this. He says, now please get out of your mind that imagery of a stadium and all these people sitting up there cheering you on. That's not the point. They are not witnesses of us. They are witnesses to the power of faith. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses to the power of faith, let's run the same faith race. And so we aren't the main event. They're not there to see, hey, are these guys going to pull it off? They are looking at Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. They see him with their eyes. He is the main attraction. But we are in this stadium, so to say, full of examples of faith. People that have gone before us, that have led by example, that have trusted the Lord in their day and in their time and with their hardships and still ran their race well. So today as we run our race in the middle of our hardships, 
And in the middle of our trials, we, looking at their examples, can be encouraged to also run our race well. That's the picture here. So I want you to picture in your mind a stadium like this. The picture of a stadium is clear. These people aren't our fans. They're Jesus's fans. And they are there, though, to give us an example of walking and living by faith, of running our race by faith. So imagine you're in this stadium, like one pictured here, and filling this stadium are the Old Testament saints mentioned in chapter 11. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the Israelites, the prophets. Add to that the New Testament heroes, the disciples. Add to that uh, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and Timothy and Silas and Titus and add to that James and Jude and add to that all these precious brothers and sisters from those early days, the early church fathers and the leaders that led so valiantly throughout the ages from those times until our time. Think about leaders from our time. Think about people like Billy Graham and even Rabbi Zacharias, who recently went home to be with the Lord. Think about all those faces in this stadium. And they are not there to be entertained by us. They are there to set for us an example. So now today, as we run our race, no matter the difficulties, no matter the trials, we remember this great crowd of witnesses and we run our faith race with their example in mind. So now it's our turn. The next thing I want to talk about is our contest. Our contest. Let's read the second half of verse 1. So just to give context, I'll start right at the beginning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So here is the reality of where we are today. We have a race that has been marked out for us. We have a contest that we are in the middle of. You know, it is time today to run our race well. We are here for that very reason. Let me tell you about somebody that ran his race well. His name is Cliff Young, and this is a famous illustration. And about half the times you hear somebody preach on these verses, you're going to hear this illustration. But it's too good not to share with you. Cliff Young was a 61-year-old Australian farmer and rancher. 61 years old. But in 1983, he outran some of the world's fastest runners and get this, a 544-mile race in Sydney. This is unbelievable. From Sydney to Melbourne, 544 miles, and a 61-year-old beat out some of the best athletes in the world. How did he do it? Well, he did it by running without sleeping. This is no joke. He ran without sleeping for five days and beat out the rest of the pack won first place, shared his winnings among all the other runners. Amazing, amazing guy. His secret was just don't stop. 
Just keep running no matter how tired you get, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how bad it hurts, whatever is going on, you just keep running. That was his example of running his race well, running the race that was marked out for him well. We too have a contest that we're in. Let me tell you about the Hebrews' contest. What was the contest they were in? I hinted at it a minute ago, but times were getting tougher. Christians were not as respected in the Roman Empire, and they were being persecuted, and that persecution had been increasing, and it was about to increase much, much more. And there was a temptation for some of these Christians that had converted from Judaism to revert back to Judaism because Judaism was protected by the Romans in a way that Christianity was not. You're looking at a picture right now of some of the ruins of a synagogue right outside of Rome. This was one of the protected synagogues. They actually functioned as libraries or classrooms or universities but they were allowed a place in Roman society that Christian churches were not. And for that reason, there was a real temptation for these early believers to revert back to Judaism or to give up on Christianity, to give up on Jesus, the only real hope this world has ever known. And the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them, persevere. Jesus is the final sacrifice. He is the final solution. We ought not go back. He has brought us into an entire new covenant. Let me tell you about Paul's race. He used the metaphor of running and racing and competing quite often. And even though Paul didn't write Hebrews, his example of running his race well is one that we should consider. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul talks about his great commission race. Remember, he's been talking in chapter 9 about how he would do any, for anything for the sake of the gospel. And in 24 through 27, he says he beats his body into submission so that he can run his race well, so that he won't be disqualified for his prize. In Acts 20, 24, he said he considers his life worth nothing to him, nothing to him, only that he might finish his race and complete the task the Lord had given him of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That's an incredible word. That was the race he was committed to. And at the end of his life, when he writes Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight and I have run the race. I have finished the race. You know, each of us are in our own race as well. We are in a contest. We are in a race that's been marked out for us, one full of purpose and meaning. I would love to get to the finish line like Paul did and be able to say, I have finished it well. I have fought the good fight. That's the way I want to run my race. Church, I want to encourage you. It is time for all hands to be on deck. We live in a time when the world needs the gospel, when the world needs our Savior, when Christians need to be trained and encouraged in God's word. It is time for the church. It is time for each of us to run the race that's been marked out for us. 
we need to get back in the game. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, go and make disciples. And in Acts 17, 26 through 27, the Apostle Paul said that God has determined the times and the places that people live so that people will reach out and find God. That's something that encourages me greatly when we go through difficult times, just like these Hebrews were in Rome. They were going through difficult times, much like we are even today. And they were encouraged that there was purpose in it. Paul told the people of Athens that God has determined the times and the places so that people would reach out and find God. You know, I believe there are people all over Albuquerque that are reaching out, searching for God now. And we are the ones that have been put here for this race. We have been put here for this time. There are people the world over reaching out, maybe even watching online today, looking for the hope that you and I have. We get to share that with them. There's a race that's been marked out for each of us, and it is time for us to run it. Let me tell you something that Howard Hendricks says in Say It With Love. He quotes Bud Wilkinson, who is a football coach who was asked what football was, and his answer was pretty astounding. He said, football is 22 men on the field in desperate need of rest and 50,000 people in the stands with desperate need for exercise. Isn't that great? 22 people on the field in desperate need of exercise and 50... 50,000 people in the stands in desperate need of exercise and 22 people on the field in desperate need of, of rest. And Howard Hendricks says, what a definition of the church. He says, a few compulsively active people run around the field while the massive people rest in the stands. Dear friends, there is a race that has been marked out for each of us. And each of you are an important part of that race. It is time to run this race well. Next, I want to encourage you about the constraints because the writer here tells us that we lay those constraints off. Let me go back to verse 1 again. He says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It is time to lay aside the hindrances and the sin that stop us in our tracks that keep us from the race that's been marked out for us. You know, I'm a runner. I love to run. In fact, if I don't get a run in the morning, I feel like the day isn't right. I love to run. And usually I run year-round outside, including in the dead of winter. And in the dead of winter, when I run, I usually run with a couple pairs of socks and a couple pairs of sweatpants and a couple sweatshirts and a beanie on my head and gloves, thick gloves, and I'll tell you what, running like that is not as much fun as it is to run with just some shorts and a short sleeve shirt. I love laying off all that stuff when it starts getting warmer so I can run my race freely. You know, that's kind of the imagery that we get here is laying aside anything that hinders us. So I ask you right now, what hinders you from the race that's been marked out for you? Is it expectations or habits or pursuits or entertainment or hobbies? These can be good things, but if they hinder us from our race, they're not good things. 
So we need to look at whatever it is that might be hindering us and say, I'm willing to lay it down so I can run the race that's been marked out for me in this day and in this age. And sometimes it's more than just hindrances. Sometimes it's sin, and this is wrong. Whereas hindrances might be good, but maybe they could distract us in the wrong time or place. Sin is never good. Each of us have issues in our lives that we know keep us from the race that's been marked out for us and that destroy our influence for Christ. We need to lay that aside. I want to encourage you, victory over sin is power through the, is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you need encouragement, get with one of the leaders of the church and you will get the support you need, the accountability you need to walk through that. Whatever it might be, I want to encourage you to throw off those things that could limit you in your race and to run full-fledged ahead at the one thing that we are running for. And that's our cause. I want to talk to you next about our cause. And the cause is Jesus himself. Let's read verse 2. It says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus himself is our cause. If you thought Enoch or Abel or Noah or Moses or Abraham or Isaac or Sarah or Jacob, and I know I'm getting them all mixed up here. If you thought David or Samuel or the prophets, or if you thought Paul or the, the disciples or Barnabas or any of the early church leaders, or even Billy Graham or Ravi Zacharias, if you thought any of them were awesome to have in the stands, I want to encourage you, the pioneer of faith himself is in the house. We're not just talking about examples of faith anymore. They're great, and they're going to encourage us. But Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, Jesus himself is here watching our race in the greatest encouragement for each of us in our race. He is here today. He is the pioneer and perfecter of faith in general, but he is also the pioneer and perfecter of your faith and my faith. Remember what Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Remember in Revelation 22:13, Jesus himself says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is here with us today as we run our race, and he is who we are looking at. I don't want you to miss this. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is. We read that in Revelation 22. But back in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, we read this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. You know, there are countless references to the deity of Christ, just like that one throughout Scripture. Let me tell you a story, and this relates to the second half of this verse. But here's a picture of my daughter and I in Antigua last year. I teach there at a missionary base on evangelism and discipleship. And this picture was last year. Eliana traveled with me, and I got to teach uh, students down there for about a week. 
But about 35 years before this picture was taken, I was in Antigua with my parents as a missionary kid. And some Jehovah's Witnesses came up and whispered in my ear, Jesus isn't God. And that triggered in my mind many years of doubt about the deity of Christ. Now, if you go and look in Scripture, you will see layers and layers and layers of evidence for the deity of Christ, just like the one I just shared with you. God says he is the Alpha and the Omega, and Jesus himself says he is the Alpha and the Omega. Now, in the second half of this verse, in verse 2 here that we just read, we see that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And that could bring up a question about the deity of Christ to some. Is he with God or is he God? The answer is both. Remember John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he is both with God and God. So this verse doesn't do anything to take away from the deity of Christ. I want to encourage you, God himself, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Savior of the world, is watching me and you in our race today. He is the greatest encouragement of faith as we run our race, and he's the one that we look at as we run our race. Let me tell you about the, the Circus Maximus. It was full of idolatry. You're looking right now at a picture of the Lateran obelisk, which is the largest Egyptian obelisk in the world today. Constantius brought it from Egypt to Rome, and it was later put into the Circus Maximus in honor of the sun god. And everybody there running their race would be right below this obelisk at every point of their race. You can see that same obelisk uh, an ancient picture from several hundred years ago of the Circus Maximus and the chariot racers racing around it. They raced around that track for a false god of the sun and other false gods as well. We run our race for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe, Jesus himself. And you know what? He isn't just there to observe our race. He is there to comfort us each and every step of our race. Let me finish with verse 3, talking about our comfort. In verse 3 we read, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him so you won't grow weary and lose heart. You know, every runner has periods of time where they have difficulties and injuries, where they are tempted to grow weary and lose heart in their race. Jesus is the one that comforts us when we run our race. Are you weary today? Are you anxious today? Are you afraid today? Are you angry today? Are you frustrated today? Are you insecure today? Are you weary? He is here today to comfort you in your race. He is here to motivate you today in the race that he's put you here for. I want to encourage you, run to him and receive the comfort only he can, he can give. Run with him and run for him. Church, we have a race to run. There is an unparalleled gospel opportunity all around us right now. The other night, I got to share my testimony with a precious woman at a grocery store who confided in me that, that she needed Jesus. And we prayed together as she put her faith and trust in Jesus. Dear sister, 
If you're watching this morning, God loves you so much, and he has a great, great future in store for you, one full of purpose and meaning. And the same is true for all of you watching today. He has put us here for a time of purpose and meaning to reach people just like that sister I just told you about. Today we celebrate Pentecost, the, the festival of harvest, and a reminder from that first Pentecost in Acts 2 when there was such a harvest. And today we get to launch out into our race, ready for the harvest that awaits us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I'm telling you, the last few months have ripened this harvest. And it is time for us, the church of God, to reach out with the hope that we have to a community that desperately needs it, to a community that's searching for Jesus. If people weren't interested in Jesus before, I can guarantee you they're interested in him now. Let's get ready, church, to get back in the game and to run our race well. I can't think of a better way to celebrate Pentecost today. Well, if you're listening and you are one of those people that's full of anxiety and stress, maybe depression, maybe fear, maybe hurt, and you don't yet know the comfort that I talked about in Jesus, I want to tell you today that the Bible says that you and I are sinners that have been separated from a perfect God by our sin, but that God loves us dearly and created us to know him personally. He loved you so much that he came to this earth as a man and died for your sins and mine, and he did that so that anyone could trust in him and experience a free gift of salvation. It's really a decision that each of us has to make of putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. If you're at a point where you know you're a sinner and you believe Jesus died for your sins and you want to trust him as Savior and Lord, I invite you to pray with me right now. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me eternal life. Today I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. You know, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to ask you to go to the link that you're seeing on the bottom of your screen right now, hoffmantown.org slash C-O-M-M card slash C-O-M-M card, com card, hoffmantownchurch.org slash com card. Go there and let us know you made this decision and we will follow up with you and encourage you in your walk with God. Hey, in summary, we learned today about our crowd, about our contest, right? About our constraints about our cause, and about our comfort. We are running this race for Jesus. We're either chasing after him or we're chasing after the wind, as we would read in Ecclesiastes. It's time to get our eyes on Jesus, our Savior, to be focused as a laser beam on him and all he's called us to, and to run our race well in this day and age. It's time to get back in the game. Let me pray for you as we wrap up. God, I thank you so much for these dear brothers and sisters. God, I thank you so much for this precious church called Hoffmantown Church. God, it's been a few hard months, but we are ready for the incredible future full of promise and purpose that you've guaranteed us in you. So Jesus, I pray that you bless my brothers and sisters today and that you continue to encourage them and strengthen them to be ready 
for the race that's marked out for them. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Happy Pentecost Sunday. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you hopefully next week in person. Goodbye.